We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Dr. Rohini Anand, CEO of Rohini Anand LLC, a company focused on strategic global diversity, equity, and inclusion, thought leadership, coaching, and consulting. She was previously the Senior Vice President for Corporate Responsibility and Global Chief Diversity Officer for Sodexo, an over $17 billion company with over 400,000 employees. During her tenure, Sodexo gained recognition for its leadership in DEI. She is the recipient of many accolades, awards, recognition, and serves on many boards. What I appreciate most about you, Rahini, is your humble brilliance. You are truly a legend who is willing to teach us, and still you approach life as a student and are steadfast on your journey. Your work has informed so many of us, and I'm thrilled to connect with you today and share with our listeners. Welcome to ROG, Rahini. Thank you so much, Shannon. I'm absolutely delighted to be in conversation with you, especially after that introduction. That was beautiful. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks. I really have been just absorbing your work and, you know, from everything from your social media presence to your book, your interviews, the articles that you're either quoted in or that you've written, you're just incredibly generous in how you share your lived experiences and you're the perfect guest. We had the opportunity to meet on social media because a dear friend of mine, Dion uh, Vernon, right. had tagged me in one of your posts on kindness. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that just led to this new connection. So again, thank you for being here. Thank you. So as you write about in your book, which we will speak more about, it's called Leading Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, A Guide for Systemic Change in Multinational Organizations. You, you offer readers these five overarching principles. I'm just going to dive right into principle two, which is leaders change to lead change. And you believe that DEI work is about how we disrupt our own worldview in order to bring about transformation in others. Could you please share more about that? Yeah, Shannon. So first of all, thank you for reading the book, for reading my posts and uh, all my social media presence and writings and articles, etc. You know, you talked about generosity and I really appreciate your calling that out. And the reason I say that is because, and you mentioned the book, so I'm going to make a connection between the generosity and the book. The reason I wrote this book was because it was my way of giving back. It was my way of sharing the lessons that I had learned. It was sort of an act of closure, but also my way of sharing the lessons I had learned, the mistakes I'd made with people who do this really difficult, challenging work of DEI culture change in their organizations. It's hard work and anything that I can share to make their lives easier so they don't make the same mistakes, I'm happy to do that. So that really was the purpose of of writing this book. It was, you know, an act of giving back and... uh, you know, in keeping with your theme of generosity, but shifting to um, the book and the five principles. And you're right, I do have these sort of five principles and we'll get right into the second principle. These principles are very simple and yet they're very disruptive. And, you know, they don't 
um, provide sort of standards or plug and play templates based on what's worked in one part of the world, because that's really been some of the foundational mistakes that that leaders have made um, is to sort of replicate what's worked in one part of the world. But so this empowers leaders to sort of apply these principles with sensitivity to any culture. Now, the, the the second principle, which is called leaders change to lead change, you're right. It really is about a disruption of your worldview, right? So commitment to inclusive leadership by senior leaders is absolutely, Shannon, fundamental to ensuring sustained DEI culture change. Uh, and when leaders embrace um, diversity, equity, and inclusion with authentic purpose and passion, the organization goes from what I call performative actions to really sustainable progress. But in order to do that, leaders do need to change their worldview. They have to internalize the benefit of DEI to themselves and to the organization. And this requires a disruption of their worldview. And oftentimes it happens with the very painful work of introspection. And what I have found is that it's not just data and facts. And yes, those are extremely important and need to be used, but it's oftentimes experiences that cause this shift in perspective. So maybe I can just give you, um, I'm trying to think which example, I'll give you one or two just really quick examples. So, so this, you know, one example is of a leader who was in Europe and I had shared with him the business case for diversity, uh, for gender balance. And, you know, we had done, shared all the McKinsey and Catalyst studies, but also the Sodexo studies. You know, we had done our own study where we showed with over a five-year period, how gender balanced teams result in better financial outcomes, result in client retention, employee engagement, employee retention, safety. Um, you know that sweet spot was forty to sixty percent women, and when you get when you have less than forty, um, you know the outcomes are are, are not positive. When you get more than 40%, the 40 to 60%, the outcomes are very positive on all these five key performance indicators that I mentioned. But when you get more than 60%, the results start plateauing off. So it's not that one group is better than the other, it's that you need that optimum balance. So, I mean, I just share that as an aside to say I'd shared all that with him. And he was not not convinced. Um, you know, I knew that he liked to network with other CEOs. So I got him involved in a cross-company mentoring program where he mentored a woman from a different company. And they developed a very close, trusting relationship with each other. She shared with him her experiences being the only woman on the executive team, being diminished, being marginalized, being talked over. And ultimately, she was laid off. And he came to me and he said, you know, I cannot believe that this is happening to women in this day and age. And I'm thinking, yeah, what have I been trying to tell you, right, all, all this time? Um, and, and so he said, you know, this is unacceptable. I do not want it to happen on my watch. I really want my leaders to get it. Okay, so, you know, he was he had made himself vulnerable. He was willing to listen in the moment. And I think, you know, sharing stories is a great way to cultivate, you know, vulnerability, learning, humility, because it really takes sort of that, um, you know, you have to have that curiosity um, and the courage to make yourself vulnerable. And he did. And she was courageous enough to share her stories with him. So he went on to say, I want every one of my 12 direct reports to mentor a woman from a different part of the organization. 
And it was a very powerful experience because it was a sort of a two-way mentoring initiative. And of the 12, nine of them went on to head up become general managers of countries, head up significant portfolios of business. So it was pretty remarkable. One of those individuals said to me, he was mentoring a woman who managed a high security facility. And, you know, she had a very low key collaborative leadership style. And he came to me after this, you know, couple of months and he said, you know, if you had presented me with two candidates, a male and a female, and asked me to select the best qualified candidate to manage a high security facility, which is very dangerous, I would have chosen the man because you need an assertive, aggressive leadership style. But after mentoring her, she has a very collaborative, low-key, but very effective leadership style. I will never let that bias of mine come into play in making selections. So so it's it's I could have shared all the data in the world, <laughs> but it was that experience that really sort of did it and, and brought them, you know, along. So, you know, I think, um, you know, ultimately transformative leaders sort of combine this sort of inclusive mindset and behaviors with concrete action because it's a personal behavior that demonstrates conviction, but it's taking actions that really signals commitment. And to do that, you've got to really internalize the benefit. I mean, I just to close this out, Shannon, you know, change ultimately happens at the intersection of people and processes. So you've got to have the processes. We've got to be able to scale. But, you know, people manage processes. So you really have to also impact people. So it's both and that need to get impacted to really have true change. These stories are so impactful because it reminds us that it's any one of us, like all of us are on a journey. There's no one who has arrived and has this all figured out, right? So here's this person who inevitably was an effective leader, probably well-respected, but had this barrier to understanding of the value of this gender diversity, right? So he had an opportunity then to have a personal experience, which is where I'm in, in your book, you write about it. And I know you talk about it, is that how are we, challenging ourselves to have these personal experiences so that we can be exposed to some of this knowledge, you know, and yeah, and like you said, you could use all the data in the world, which it's there. I mean, that's another point to make clear to all of our listeners is the data backs up in droves what Rahini just shared with us, but to, to think how can we put ourselves in a position of learning and exposure to other things? What are, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it takes curiosity, it takes courage, it takes vulnerability, it takes humility. You know, it takes sort of acknowledging that you don't have all the answers, right? I mean, in my book, Shannon, I share the story. I mean, that was my own learning and I had lots of learning in this work, right? So my own learning, and I grew up in India, um, you know, came to the United States to go to graduate school. So I went back to India to do diversity, equity and inclusion work at the time for Sodexo. And I recall very clearly sitting in this room full of entry to mid-level women, um, about 20, 22 of them. And we were talking about advancement of career, advancement of their careers at Sodexo. And so I started rattling off, you know, about mentoring and I started talking about leadership development and it was just sort of blank stares. Clearly there was something missing. I was just not connecting. And I remember trying a few words in Hindi, you know, to break the ice, but still nothing. And then there was this one courageous woman who raised her hand and she said, um, you know, she said, you know, we can't stay late at work to work on projects or to do any development work. 
um, because, you know, we live in these multi-generational joint families and, you know, we have to go home, we have to take care of the kids, we have to, you know, make the meals, etc. And it was in that moment that I realized that I had forgotten this sort of multi-generational joint family dynamic in India. And I had forgotten the role of the Indian woman as a mother and a wife, but also as a daughter-in-law. And to be honest, I'd forgotten my own sort of limitations as a multi-dimensional being because I'd focused on one aspect of my shared identity with these women and it overlooked the many differences. So I sort of sat back and, you know, they were on a roll after that. And they talked about, you know, I mean, how challenging it was for them to, you know, to do all the work that was expected of them for the extended family at home. So I, you know, I actually was stumped and I said, you know, so how can I help or how can the company help? And then they came up with a solution. So I think this is the, you know, issue is sort of, you don't have all the answers. They had an answer and they said, why don't we do a recognition day and invite our extended families? So we did that. It was an awesome experience for them, for me, for their families. You know, they were so proud. We gave them awards. You know, there was recognition, there were speeches. Um, and they, you know, their in-laws, their mother-in-law and the families were so proud of them. Now, you know, did it change any of the dynamics at home? I'm not sure, but at least occasionally they could work late and go home to, a, you know, cook meal and, you know, things were taken care of. They weren't chastised or because, you know, they had to stay late or meet with a mentor or work on some other activities. So, I mean, I think that was a big learning for me. I thought I knew the culture. So I think you just have to, you know, just be humble about what you don't know and make yourself vulnerable. And, uh, you know, and admit (laughs) that you're a lifelong learner, as you said. Absolutely. And I think that's such a great story because, you know, here you grew up in Mumbai and you now are working in the U.S. You have your graduate degree, you know, you're, you know, on this career journey and now you return to India and you have this experience and, you know, it just, I I feel the vulnerability of you sharing that story. And I think it's so important to share those stories because we all have them, whether we admit admit them or not. Um, And whether we're aware that we have been the, you know, the person who created that moment or, you know, contributed to it. And then let's, and then what do we do about it? And one of the key things I'm hearing for you is that humility And then when you said that you asked them, what do you think we could do? What can the company do? And that you heard them, you know, you, you trusted that they had answers to those bigger questions and that you didn't have to come and swoop in and save the day. And then you've mentioned mentoring a couple of times, and you've also been quoted in Forbes magazine as saying that a dollar invested in mentoring has seen a return of $19. So you've even done the math on, you know, the ROI of mentoring, which is another generous act, something we talk about a lot on ROG. Could you please talk with me more about mentoring, the value of it? You shared a great story about how this has been impactful, but just love to get your thoughts on mentoring. Yeah, I mean, I think that what happens is mentoring happens organically for certain people, right? I think particularly for men, particularly for white men, you know, they're sort of on the in with networks. And I think that happens organically. And now I think with hybrid work, with remote work, this is becoming even more sort of um, exacerbated, if you would. 
because you have people who don't have access to leadership. They're not face to face with leaders. And so, you know, it, it takes an act of intentionality on the part of the organization because mentoring definitely does provide opportunities and provide exposure to leadership and provide opportunities. And women and people of color are less likely to have get mentors organically. So I think it's really important to provide um, you know, those opportunities for women and people of color. But I will say that the sort of mentoring is limited in uh, what the impact can be because mentoring is about sort of developing an individual's honing an individual's objectives and skills to make them, you know, perform better for this job and perhaps for the and for the next job. But I do think that sponsorship, which is about advocating for a people um, and sponsorship, I think really sort of propels women and people of color to that next level because a sponsor makes the individual visible to the organization. <laughs> so mentoring is about talking with people uh, and sponsorship is about talking about. Thank you for that, for those examples, the reasons why, and the illustration of the value that mentoring has, and really the encouragement for people to invest some of their precious time and energy mentoring others, and that that differentiation between mentoring and sponsorship is also really significant. So in your book, you share that if we want our businesses, organizations, and society to become diverse, equitable, and inclusive, yes, please, we need to embark on a journey of change, not solely for policy and systems, but for people as well. And then you write, ultimately, transformation happens at the intersection of the personal and systemic, and it's the work is ongoing. DEI must be a personal and professional journey for each of us. So I just want to highlight that, a personal and professional journey for each of us if we want to become part of the plot line for true lasting change toward diverse, equitable, and inclusive organizations. You mentioned that earlier too, that intersection of personal and systemic. Could you please share more about that? Yeah, I think, you know, a couple of things, Shannon. I think it is, it's one of the sort of five principles in my book. But for me, I think, you know, it's important that we address systems. Um, and that's actually uh, the fourth principle in my book, which is go deep, wide and inside out, because organizations are comprised of these interconnected systems that work in concert with each other. And, you know, we have to ensure that the systems are unbiased. So diversity needs to be infused into the processes, into the policies, into the structures. So we've got to take a systems approach. We have to embed it in a wide through governance frameworks. We've got to embed it deep with allies and champions, and we've got to integrate DI inside and out in the internal and external ecosystems. So I think that's sort of, you know, the systems piece where you really have to scale diversity in all of the processes. That said, I do think that, you know, inclusive leadership, and it, it really has to be a personal journey. And I talked about some of the transformation that leaders have gone through, but I think it takes for individuals to really get it in the, in the heart, not just in the head, in the heart. You know, it takes a level of curiosity, curiosity to make yourself vulnerable in order to learn how others experience the world. And it takes empathy. It takes this approach of fairness. It takes courage to take responsibility and to seek out disruptive experiences and to acknowledge sort of personal limitations and, and areas of growth. 
Um, you know, because it, that takes mindfulness and it really takes courage. And it takes a level of commitment to stay the course and to ensure that the actions in your organization are fair. And that's where the systems approach comes in. And, you know, that takes consistency. Um, you know, I talk about the, you know, CEO at Sodexo who hired me. And, you know, he was, you know, consummate sort of, uh, inclusive leader. He was demonstrated commitment, vulnerability. And I remember that, you know, in terms of this sort of um, curiosity and courage, you know, he'd always say, you know, you don't know what you don't know. He was a consummate learner. And then he positioned me. So you're talking about what, you know, the personal piece. He positioned me and the DI function for success. He had me report to him. And that signaled the criticality of diversity to the organization. He personally sponsored women and other underrepresented leaders. Many of them went on to lead really large business portfolios. And he ultimately treated diversity as he would any other business priority, made it a strategic pillar for business growth. And every single business review included an update on diversity. And like any other business priority, he supported and ensured that we measured progress and he held the teams accountable. In fact, what he did was he decoupled the diversity incentive from the financial performance of the company, you know, signaling how important it was. So it, essentially, he believed that we were in it for the long haul. So despite the ups and downs financially of the company, the diversity bonus would get paid out. And and then lastly, I think, you know, he took a stand, a bold stand on issues. And I remember very clearly on one occasion, a client sort of asking that we not promote our LGBTQ initiatives on our website and other communications. And without a minute's hesitation, he said, you know, we can do without clients who don't respect our values. So he truly believed in a purpose-driven organization. And, uh, you know, so, so he, you know, he demonstrated that, that inclusive leadership with empathy, with connectivity, with respect, with the courage to be vulnerable, um, and I think that's really what it takes, the people pieces um, combined with the processes in order to really inclusive leadership and you know, addressing systemically the processes in order to advance diversity, equity and inclusion. And that is the fourth principle in my book. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, so for those of you who are listening and wishing that you could be writing all of this down and capturing all of this, well, the good news is. Rohini wrote it all down <laughs> and it's in her book, The Leading Global Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, the subtitle, A Guide for a Sub Systemic Change in Multinational Organizations. So I know that you know we're going through this rather quickly right now, but there is a lot of concrete stories, examples and strategies. And I think that's why you wrote the book. You mentioned it in, in your opening statements that you wanted to make sure you gave people a roadmap, something that you wished that you had and you have created that for us. So thank you again for that. Um, I really appreciate that go deep, wide, and inside out. I think it's a, a tough one. Um, you gave us some of those strategies on how to make it really stand out and important, like the DEI function reporting directly to the CEO as an example. Um, what are other recommendations you have for organizations who have caught themselves in a you know, a lull, or maybe, you know, they, they felt like there was a lot of focus and attention, say in 2020, 2021, but now things have, you know, priorities yeah. have shifted, the emphasis seems to have lessened. 
what 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 can you recommend for organizations who are experiencing something like that? Yeah, Shannon, I think that's a really important question because I think with the economic downturn, we're going to see tightening of budgets across organizations, which means tightening of budgets for diversity, equity, and inclusion teams. And I think it's really important for leaders to be prepared. And as you said, you know, there's sort of this, you know, I wouldn't say downsliding, but, you know, plateauing. And how do you continue and sustain the momentum? So there are a couple of things that I would recommend. I think, first of all, really be focused on those things that are the most impactful. You know, what are the big rocks? What are, what are these those things that are going to have the biggest impact? What are you solving for? So understand what you're solving for and then figure out those initiatives or actions that are going to have the largest impact and measure the outcome of those impacts on the barriers. So I think that's one big piece because I think oftentimes we do a lot of stuff and that's what I call performative actions. And you really have to cut through the clutter and focus in on those, you know, those BHAGs, those heavy big rocks that you can really, you know, are going to make an impact. So I would say that's one. I think the second piece is, and this is the second principle in my book, sorry, the third principle in my book, and it's good business too, because I think you've constantly got to connect the work that you're doing to the mission of the organization, to the business of the organization. That means understanding the business well, because honestly, without sort of the connection to the business, it's very easy to dismiss it. But if it's an integral to the business, it's core, and that's what we did at Sodexo, made it a competitive advantage made it a differentiator and demonstrated how it could grow the business and quantified it. And so as a result, it was very difficult to kind of, you know, reduce the focus on diversity because it became part of the core business strategy. And without the sort of a compelling reason or rationale or narrative for addressing DEI, 70% of effort will change. So, you know, diversity can't be a check the box. It can't be siloed. It can't be bolted on. It really must be congruent with the organization's purpose and how business is done. So I think that would be the second. So those would be the two key things. For me, it would be focus on the big rocks. Those will have the biggest impact, measure the outcomes. Second, connect it, link it inextricably to your core business strategy. And third is, you know, you don't have to do all this heavy lifting on your own. Influence key leaders to be allies that will carry the messages for you. Those that are sitting at decision-making tables who will be able to advocate on your behalf and the work that you're doing for DEI. So those would be the three key things. Those are brilliant. Oh my gosh, what key takeaway tips. So that's our at the end of every episode, we have takeaway tips, what we can do to apply what we've learned. So there there we go. We're going to focus on the big rocks. And that's, that's difficult to do. But those who are listening, if you have not already figured out what are your top priorities and how are you measuring outcomes against them. The second is the good business pillar in your book. And you're talking about how to connect it to the mission and the business. So if an organization has not clarified their mission as well as Sodexo, like when you said that the client for for Sodexo was wanting there to be some edit in in terms of what you're posting for the LGBTQIA plus community, and your CEO said no, we're we're sticking with our with our priority. So I think for some listeners, their organizations just don't have that clear of a mission yet. So that might be the place to start, and then you know, prioritizing, you know, how the actions of the leaders and the business 
mirror that that mission and vision. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think, Shannon, just to sort of, uh, you know, amplify a piece of what you said, it really is about ensuring that diversity is leading to the business outcomes of the organization. Mm-hmm. So ensuring that there is that sort of connection between the work that you're doing with diversity and the business outcomes or the work that you're doing and the mission of the organization if you're working for a nonprofit organization, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that piece is absolutely critical to Absolutely. And then the third point that you made about not having to do it on your own and leveraging stakeholders, I just think as a closing remark, I would love to hear your thoughts on how to build those stakeholder relationships. You are massively influential. You have figured out how to break through to some hearts and minds of, of people who really needed to get on board with the mission. So what, what advice can you give to our listeners on how to influence? Yeah, I think, you know, every individual has this ecosystem of beliefs, Shannon. And I think you have to meet people where they are, right? You've got to just, you know, understand what makes them tick, the what's in it for them, meet people where they are, and then incrementally move them along. So give them whatever experiences they need to move them along the spectrum to make them more inclusive leaders. For some, that might be data. You know, for others, it might be listening to lived experiences. But remember, you know, that the toll it takes on individuals to share their lived experiences again and again and again. So leaders need to take responsibility for their own learning um, and also use sort of lived experiences with discretion. So it could be the head stuff, which is, you know, maybe a peer talking to them, maybe a client or a customer talking to a leader. It may be the data and the facts whatever that might be. You know, I think the other piece that I've discovered is that organizations, when we talk about belonging, we often talk about individuals having this need to belong to an organization. But there is also this piece of belonging, which is organizations wanting to belong to, for instance, diversity elite companies. So a great strategy is to pull in one of those diversity elite companies, particularly if they're a client or customer of yours, to speak to your leaders because they listen to these messages differently because now it's about the business, right? So I think it could be those Or it could be what I call heart strategies, you know, which is lived experiences, or it could be putting them in situations where they are a minority. I'll I'll close with a very quick story, Shannon. So one of the CEOs that I reported to is a French CEO, and I include the story in the book as well. Um, You know, when we talked, when I talked to him, he said, you know, we're, we're, we're working on sort of globally, we're working on gender. Why are you diluting the focus on gender by bringing in issues of race and ethnicity, which do not resonate globally. And he's absolutely right. You know, issues of race translate very differently outside of the United States than they do in the U.S. Um, But I did realize that I needed to give him some more exposure to the importance of, um, you know, race in the United States in particular. So I invited him to an ERG meeting, um, African-American Employee Resource Group meeting, in the United States. He was one of only two French men in that room. He was one of a handful of white men in that room. And the experience of being a minority, you know, being one of the only men, white men, not only men, but only white men, certainly only French men 
combined with the listening to the lived experiences of people who he knew in the organization, black men in the organization, black men and women, was very transformative for him. So that was a heart piece. You know, he was able to make himself vulnerable and listen. And he went on after the murder of George Floyd to send this really heartfelt message to the organization, which I don't think he would have done um, if he had not had that experience. So whatever it is to meet people where they are without judgment <laughs> and to bring them along uh, using sort of a sort of a, a whole you know plethora of strategies, I think is is really important. So thank you for that. And the encouragement that you're giving us on how we can be inclusive and generous leaders, some of the key words that I've heard you say a couple of times are curiosity, courage, vulnerability, empathy, fairness, right? Those are some of the things that we can practice every day. We get an opportunity every day to, to demonstrate these, these ways of operating. And I think that makes us generous leaders. It makes us inclusive leaders. And we are creating cultures where people can really belong, which is the ultimate win. <laughs> so just thank you again for all of your thought leadership and your generosity. Where can our listeners find your book and learn more about your work? Great. Thank you, Shannon. This was fun. Um, so you can go on my website, www.rohiniyanan.com. The book's name is available through Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and, and many other outlets. It's called Leading Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion by Rohini Anand. Um, sign up. Follow me on LinkedIn. Sign up for my newsletter and uh, come join the LinkedIn community that we have over 1,200 people in the community now. Uh, so, you know, come join us. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.